This is part four of our four-part series on the songs of Christmas that we're calling Proclamations. And this is a song that takes place after the birth of Jesus, and we're releasing this after Christmas because of that. And there is something in Simeon's song that is so helpful for us as we launch into a new year. Hey friends, welcome to the teaching series. We're so glad that you're listening. This podcast is the audio version of our highly visual video series that you can find on our website, walkingthetext.com or on our YouTube channel at Walking the Text. You know, the Bible can be difficult to understand and that confusion typically happens when we read the Bible without understanding its context. Well, that's why we create resources like this to help you understand the Bible in its original context so that you can learn, love, and live it out every day. Brad Gray is our teacher for this episode today, and we know that with a growing understanding of biblical context, you'll be reading the Bible with greater clarity and confidence than ever before. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Well, friends, we have come to the end of our musical from Luke 1 and 2 as we conclude with the song of Simeon. In Latin, it is known as Nunc Dimittis, and it means now you are letting depart. And so in English, we have Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In the Latin, it just starts off and says, now you are letting depart, Nunc Dimittis. And so we're going to come back to these words of Simeon, but what we want to do, as we've done in all of these episodes, is provide a larger context for the characters in order to better understand their songs. And so in Luke chapter 2, we meet Simeon after we are told about something Mary and Joseph are doing at the temple with baby Jesus. And so Luke 2, 25 and following says this, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, so Mary and Joseph brought Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And notice this is in quotation marks because this is being drawn from the Hebrew scriptures. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, also in quotation marks. So what we have here is Mary and Joseph fulfilling two Torah commandments that are being recorded here in Luke 2. Um, the first one is in connection to Numbers 18, 15 to 16, which is called the ceremony of the redemption of the firstborn. So the idea here is that after God rescues and redeems his people from Israel, they have this ceremony that every firstborn Israelite is supposed to be given back to God and then redeemed by the parents, literally bought back. And at this time, it was with five Tyrian shekels at the temple. And this was roughly 20 days wages. And so they would go in and they would do the ceremony of the redemption of the firstborn. The second Torah commandment that they're fulfilling here, this pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, is for the purification of Mary. And so when you go and you look at Leviticus 12, you will see that when a woman gives birth to a boy, he's circumcised on the eighth day, 
And then 33 days after that, the mother goes up to the temple in order to be purified. And it's through an offering of a lamb and either a pigeon or a dove. But if you are poor, then you give either two doves or two young pigeons. And so the fact that Mary and Joseph are offering that gift, we know that they are part of the poor class of people. And so in the midst of them going up to the temple, their interaction with Simeon is going to happen in the midst of them fulfilling these two Torah commands. And so they would have come up probably the south end of the Temple Mount area, and then somewhere in here they would have purchased the doves or the young pigeons in order to make that as the sacrifice. They would have gone into the temple proper, and then they would have gone through here, the Nicanor Gate, in order to present the offering to the priests that would sacrifice them. And then also at this time, you have the redemption of the firstborn. Now that didn't necessarily have to be done at the temple, but they do that at the temple. It just had to be performed by a priest. And it's in the midst of all of this that we read this in the following verses. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we have a man in the temple area, Simeon. And we learn that he is righteous and devout, and it says he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. This was a, a buzz phrase in the first century BC world, which was the anticipation of the comfort of Israel, i.e. God acting in a powerful way. And then notice here the presence of the Holy Spirit upon him. We're gonna come back to this, but just notice, the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, which, by the way, I love that. He's not going to see death before he sees life, right, in the Christ. And then it says, notice the Holy Spirit, and he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and bless God and said, he's got Jesus in his hands. And he says, oh Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. That's a song right there. That's, a, that's an amazing proclamation. And I want to come back to the first part in a little bit, but I just want to highlight something that Simeon has done here, that we've seen these themes already in the other songs as well. And it's just so cool that these folks, these first century BC Jewish people, are drawing from the Hebrew scriptures, they're drawing from their hopes and dreams, and they're all singing the same themes just in a little bit of a different way in their various songs. Is that what Simeon highlights is that what is happening in this baby is going to be for all peoples. Now, we mentioned that in our last episode with the proclamation of the angel, 
But Simeon goes a step further and he talks about the Gentiles as well as the Israelites. Now, this is just really cool from a geographical perspective. Where is Simeon standing when he is making this proclamation? Right? He's in the temple. Well, one of the things that maybe some of you know is that in the Temple Mount proper, this was known as the court of the Gentiles. And then you went into the court of the women and the court of the priests. And this was only for Israelites who were clean were able to go into the temple proper area. And it was separated here by a fence that had these stones throughout. So this little fence right here is called the Soreg. And it was a, a parapet that you then walked through. And Josephus tells us that all around the Soreg, there were stones that were in both Latin and Greek saying the same thing. There's one complete stone that was found. This is in the Istanbul Museum. And it just says that for any Gentile who enters through will be responsible for their death that will soon follow, i.e., Gentiles as well as impure Jews, you were not allowed to go through the Sorek. Now, this was not a stipulation that God gave in the Hebrew scriptures. This was something that was brought about by the Jewish establishment to keep a strong demarcation between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, this is what Paul references in Ephesians chapter 2 about how Jesus brought down the dividing wall of hostility. Like that was both, you know, on a large scale, but also had a specific physical reference in the temple area. And Simeon is inside with baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And he says, this baby is going to bring forth something amazing for all peoples, Jews and Gentiles alike. That alone was explosive. But then it, it continues because as they're having this in here, Right? He makes the proclamation about all peoples, Gentiles, and Israel. And then we are introduced to another character. So Simeon has another little bit of a conversation with Mary and Joseph, which you can read on your own time. And then we're introduced to a woman by the name of Anna. And we find out that she had been married and then her husband died. And then she remained a widow until she was 84 years old. And it said she was always in the temple. And then Luke records this for us in verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now that him seems to be about Jesus. Now, what does she say? We don't know. Like Luke begins his gospel by saying, like I've interviewed all these people, like I've got an accurate account of all that happened but Luke doesn't know what she said. And if he does, he doesn't record it, but he seems to record what he knows of everybody else. And so she doesn't have any words that are recorded, but her actions are. And you go, well, if she doesn't really have much to say, why would Luke be including her? Well, one of the things that Kenneth Bailey highlights in his work, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, he says this, a careful examination of the book of Luke unearths at least 27 sets of stories that focus in one case on a man and in the other on a woman. We have Simeon and we have Anna. 
This is a proclamation for all peoples, Jews and Gentiles, men and women. This is for the entire world. And I am so grateful that Luke included this story of Anna. But it also goes another step deeper. Because if you go all the way back to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, you're going to see a theme that shows up in several places. Let me just highlight one in Deuteronomy 19.15 that says this, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So when this was first given, it's, it's in the context of a crime or an offense. But what we see throughout scripture is this idea got carried into other areas of life where if you wanted to confirm something substantial, then you would do so with two or three examples, also called witnesses to that thing that you wanted to make known. And so one of the things that we see is that Jesus in his teaching ministry plays on this over and over again. He makes a point, people don't really understand. What does he do? He tells two or three parables. And in many cases, when he's telling two or three parables, he has a parable about a man and he's got a parable of a woman. You got a guy that loses one of his sheep among the hundred. You've got then a woman who loses a coin among her 10. You see this all throughout the teachings of Jesus. And this idea of two or three witnesses affirming something is carried out. In fact, in the New Testament, this passage is quoted in many places. I've just highlighted three for you to affirm this point. Now, Luke is not only giving us, right, both the witness of Simeon and Anna, he's giving witness to the storyline that has unfolded. This cosmic gospel, this revelation, this baby who has come to make things right. And so I wanna go back again to Simeon. And I wanna just land this teaching on the Nunc Dimittis, his words. And once again, to be reminded, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Names matter. Brad Nelson in part two talked about the names of Elizabeth and John and Zachariah and the significance there. Same here with Simeon. In Hebrew, Simeon is Shimon. Shimon means heard or hears. Some of you will know that the Hebrew word for to hear is the word shma. So Shimon, shma, you can hear the linguistic connection. Shimon means heard or one that hears and obeys, because Shema always carries this idea that you hear in order to obey, and Shimon means heard, or the one who has heard and has obeyed. And you see his name playing out, because this man is righteous and devout. He has heard the word of God. He is living it out in obedience. He is waiting for God to make good on his promise on the consolation of Israel that the prophets kept talking about. He has the Holy Spirit upon him, and he knows that the word of God has said, you will not see death until you've seen the promised one. And so we see this as a man of obedience, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, he is led to baby Jesus. 
And then Simeon says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Ah, oh, that should trigger for those of you who saw the last episode, we did the whole thing on peace. He brings back this theme of peace. But I wanna look at three other words he uses here. And I wanna begin with the word Lord. And it's in Greek, the word despotes. Now, this is a unique Greek word. It's only used about 10 times in the New Testament. The more common Greek word for Lord or master is the word kurios. But Luke uses this word and it's a strong, bold word, meaning Lord or master. Now hold on to that because he says, now you are letting your servant, and this is the word doulos. And doulos, yes, means servant, but more emphatically, it means slave or bondservant. We don't usually like to use the word slave because of all the negative connotations of a slave, but all throughout scripture, when someone highlights themselves as a slave or a bondservant to God, it's always in the most affirming way possible because God is the master of life. And when you are in service to life, you experience life. And so it's this very strong, bold relationship word that Simeon is using. He says, I am your bondservant. You are my master. And the idea in the Roman world is that if you are a slave to a master, then you do not end your day until the work is done. You are not dismissed until the work is accomplished. And the word that he uses for depart is this word apotluo, which means to release, dismiss, depart, set free, or send away. And it's actually used in a lot of different contexts, but one is in a soldier context where the commander or the general or the head says, you are dismissed, your work is done, you can now go rest. And Simeon says, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. And what I love about Nunc Dimittis is this idea that Simeon has lived this life of faithfulness, that he is blameless, he is devout, he has been obedient to the word of God, he has been present to the movement of the Holy Spirit in his life. God made a promise, that promise has been fulfilled, and it's like Simeon says, God, I have done everything that you've asked me to do, and I realize that I can now depart because the work is finished, and as your bondservant, the work you have given me to do it is complete as a servant, as a bondservant, as a slave. Thank you for releasing me in peace. It's been an amazing ride. And what this does for me in this season is that we are on the heels of Christmas. We have started a new year. We have thought about what last year was like. We've made resolutions around what we want to have happen in this year. And what this does for me at the start of a new year is it just causes me to pause and say, like Simeon, am I utterly devoted to the king? That as I am putting in thoughts and ideas around what I want this year to look like, am I like laser focused on being devoted to the king, to the work that he has called me to do, that he has called you to do? Do we have rhythms and practices in place to ensure 
that we're using our time, our money, our resources, our skills in order to do what the master once done in our lives and through our lives this year, rather than just what we want. Because Simeon is a picture of one who is ultimately and utterly devoted to the king, to the master. And it challenges us as we start a new year. Is this what we're also gonna be known for? And if we are, let's keep going. And if not, let's course correct now, because God, like through Simeon, wants to do amazing things in us and through us. So friends, there you go. Proclamations of Christmas. What an amazing series it has been. May you continue to ruminate on these lessons. May you continue to dig into the Word of God. And as always, may you walk out the text well in your life.